Good player. He was a really good player back in the day. Jamie, when I say the name Rick Tockett, what jersey comes to mind for you? Oh, man. Probably Pittsburgh. Really? And Yeah, just because of the Stanley Cup moments there, right? And, you know, he, he bounced around a lot, right? And I know, like, he, he started his career in Philly, played a long time there, had his longest stretch with any one team there, but that was really before I was completely tuned in to hockey. So, yeah, I know it wasn't the longest time he was there in Pittsburgh, but with the playoff success there, that's that's what jumps to mind for me. Okay, so you saying Pittsburgh, my really was more about how old I am because there's no way I separate Rick Tockett from the Philadelphia Flyers, despite everything you just mentioned and the fact that he did go play for a bunch of different places. Rick Tockett, to me, always will be a Philadelphia Flyer first and foremost. Yeah, and I know he's finished his career there as well, but again, the big chunk of his career where he started there, just like just before my time, really. He's going to join us here momentarily. I don't know if we're going to have time to get into the Gretzky relationship or not, but he is following Wayne Gretzky to TNT. We knew about Gretzky getting there earlier, and for those who didn't see the news yesterday, Craig Morgan down in Arizona broke that saying, yep, I can confirm Rick Tockett is going to be part of what they're doing at TNT with their hockey coverage this season. You're going to see him on the panel on Wednesdays, some Sundays. He's going to be in the mix down there. I'm interested at some point, whether it's today or a different day, Jamie, to find out about how that became more of a friendship. Because when Rick Tockett broke into the league, you got to remember, this was a time where there was a lot more distaste for other teams. Some would just call it hate. Players stayed with their teams longer. They didn't move around in free agency as much as they eventually would. Gretzky was an oiler. Tockett was a flyer. They met in two cups in three years, and Gretzky took the ultimate prize away from Rick Tockett and his flyers. Yeah, but then they have gone on to have kind of a long professional relationship as well, right? They would have played together in L.A. for a little bit, but then, of course, uh, Rick was an assistant coach for Wayne when he was coaching the Coyotes. Now they're going to be working together on the media side as well. Right, and I'm not sure we're going to be able to get to that today because there's a lot I want to get into here. I do want to ask some insight about some of the players that have come north from the team he coached last season. I was thinking about that with the Arizona Coyotes. It's not an expansion draft or a dispersal draft, but it kind of feels like one, doesn't it? (laughs) With them just being open for business, right? Yeah. Come calling. You like somebody on our team? Give us a shout. We'll probably make the deal. Pretty much. We're breaking up the entire band here. It's going to be a new cast of characters. Who do you want? It hasn't quite been that, but with a couple players coming to Vancouver and Brad Richardson wasn't a Coyote last season, but he played there for a few years under Rick Tuck. Well, let's just get into it right now as we have Rick on the line. Former NHL player, former NHL coach, currently an analyst with TNT. Rick Tockett joins us here today. Thank you very much for doing this. How are you today? Uh, Doing pretty good. Getting ready for the hockey season coming up here. Yeah, as are we. And it's going to be a different role for you. How did this opportunity come about? Yeah, so, um, you know, when I didn't re-sign with Arizona, um, went through the interview process with a couple head coaching uh, opportunities. Uh, Went deep with Seattle and then the Rangers. and, um, you know, they went a different direction. Had some offers as a, an associate coach with a few teams. Um, and then I also was asked to come and test for the TNT um, gig, you know, for the analysts. And I just weighed, uh, you know, you, you know, you just weigh certain options. Uh, you know, I want to be a head coach again sometime. And, you know, I figured this is the best opportunity to stay in the game um, and kind of analyze this year, um, kind of reinvent yourself as a coach also. Um, and so I took the job. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's a, it's going to be fun. It's a, you know, TNT's brand new with the NHL, and I think they really want to 
they want to you know step outside the box thinking and uh, have entertainment too involved. Well, we know how much candor you can bring to the platform because we've had you on before. What have those initial conversations with TNT been like? What type of a show do they want to put together? Well, you know what? They want to entertain. It's just they don't want just a pure hockey show. I'm sure they don't want me to exit, you know, they don't want to be up on the board X and O. And I mean, I could talk systems all day. Uh, but, but I think right now, I think, you, you know, you got to give your opinion. You got to, uh, you know, make sure it's entertaining. Um, you know, I told them I'll never be personal against a player or a team or anything like that because, you know, I'm just going to give you my opinion what I think, and I think that's something I'll always do. But it's never personal. It's just an opinion on, uh, you know, whether the, you know you think of the, the, the team's play or this, this player or what the organizations I do, and I think that's what they really want is kind of insight. You know, I've been involved in hockey for the NHL over 30-something years, so got a lot of experience when it comes to that sort of stuff, and uh, I'm excited. And uh, I get to work with Wayne Gretzky, which will be fun too. Yeah, you get to reunite with Wayne Gretzky, which we can get to throughout the course of this conversation. You talked about it not getting personal, but also being able to entertain. There are a lot of different people in this business. You've seen it through different lenses. As a player and a coach, what type of media did you appreciate, and which did you think crossed the line? Well, listen, uh, you know, I've I've known a lot of media people throughout my career, um, and I've always gone along. I, I just like the guys that are honest, uh, and and you know, just as long as it's not personal. And if you know, listen, players, you know, everybody likes to read in the paper or hear how great they're playing or whatever. And sometimes when things aren't going your way, uh, you got to take the criticism too. And it, it's just uh, you just got to roll with the punches. And that's something that I've always did as a player. I've never taken it personal unless a reporter or or some you know, some analysts had something uh, personal with me. But other than that, I, I've had a great run with the media. It's been great. Uh, and that's what I want to try to portray for myself. You know, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the desk, you know, wh- whoever I'm working with, you know, there's going to be some knowledge there and there's going to be some insight that fans want to, want to hear. They want to hear like as a coach in these situations, uh, you know, what do you tell your team or as a player, you know, in this role, um, you know, what are you trying to, you know, help your team win or, you know, even go through some system stuff, you know, like trying to explain to some fans, you know, why, why, why is the team playing this way on the PK? So I think just a variety of stuff that you can kind of throw at uh, the, uh, the uh, listeners and the audience um, and make it entertaining for them. Rick, you know, you mentioned that Turner really wants to make it, you know, obviously an informing, uh, informative hockey show, but also very entertaining for fans and for viewers. And I think a lot of us are really curious to see, what Turner and TNT and also at ESPN, what they can do with the game of hockey and how they can maybe reach some new fans in the United States. Do you see this as an opportunity as well to be a part of something that could really help grow the game in the United States? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they're, they're very excited uh, to, to join the NHL family, um, you know, with ESPN. Um, you know, I've talked to them in, uh, in numerous times, um, on what they're trying to accomplish. They're all ears, too. And, uh, you know, talking to some of the executives, you know, they, they want to give us some freedom, too, to, to think outside the box how to, how to bring, uh, you, know, the, the viewer, you know, the viewership uh, entertainment. Like, on, you know, when you do these analyst shows or in between periods, there are different ways you can do things. So they're all ears. And, you know, you collaborate with uh, some of the talent that they've hired, um, and hopefully, you know, you come up with an entertaining show. So, um they're very proactive um and you know it's their first year doing it so they're uh they want to make sure that they're doing it right but they also want to make sure and and they they stress it to me again is that you know we want to make it sure it's entertaining they just don't want to you know uh accident knows the death and be a boring show and just talk you know 24 7 hockey i think there's 
there's personalities in a game that we should you know, talk about. There's different uh, things that you, you know, we should tackle in in our sport um, because it's a great – listen, I can't wait for the season to come out. I can't wait to do this. Uh, I wish I was behind the bench, but this is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can bring some, some you know, an added uh, flavor to the show. Is that some? you know, you mentioned the personalities in the game, and I think fans want to see more of the kind of off-ice, behind-the-scenes perspective from those personalities. But, you know, I also get the sense that a lot of fans, there's so many incredibly highly skilled players in the game today, and, and I get a sense from fans that think, you know, maybe the NHL doesn't do enough to let those players shine on the ice, right? Whether it's the way they call penalties or whatever else the case is. Do you think the NHL does enough to really promote its stars right now? Well, I think they're, you know, I, I, every year they're trying different things. So, um, you know, um, I got to give them a lot of credit for that. I, I understand where the fans are coming from. You know, my, my biggest problem, and, you know, I'm sure I'll talk about this year, is, and uh, I'm a big fan of the refs. I think it's a hard a game to ref. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, they, you know, for the most part, the NHL has done a great job. I know they got a lot of criticism in this playoffs. Um, my biggest thing, what I'd like to see this year is, Whatever they and I know it's hard to do, but whatever they call in October, November, you got to set the standard, and that's going to be called all the way through. I know it's hard, uh, but players will adjust. You know, I played. In, you know, I remember some years I played where refs. You know, the league let a lot go, so you adjusted early, and it didn't affect it. I thought there was a big gap last year. Like I thought they called a lot throughout the year, and in the playoffs they didn't. And I think there's too big of a gap. So whatever you're going to, I know it's hard. I, and, uh, you know, we all talk about it, but if you can somewhat call whatever you're going to call the standard, it's got to be all the way through, and it's got to be in the first round of the playoffs. Um, and yeah. hopefully that, you know, hopefully that'll kind of free the game up a little bit. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but really I think you're preaching to the choir, Rick, because I agree with that, and I know a lot of our listeners will agree with that as well. It's not so much about which penalties you're calling, it's about the consistency throughout the season into the playoffs that I know a lot of people want to want to see. You know, you also mentioned, Rick, that you see this as an opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself as a head coach and that yes. coaching and being a head coach in the NHL is something you're you're still very interested in down the road. Does that, does that opportunity come from just, you know, getting a chance to be more of an observer of the whole league, right, rather than being, you know, engrossed in the day-to-day of running your own team? You really get a chance to kind of sit back and watch and see what's happening around the league. Is, is that what you see as the biggest opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself as a coach? Absolutely. I, I think nowadays as a coach, if you don't bring freshness every year or something different or even, you know, kind of do something different in yourself, you know, the way you handle things, I think, you know, you're going to have a tough, tough go to stay somewhere for long periods of time. So um, I'm very lucky. I got, uh, you know, you know, in your hometown there, Travis Green's a close friend of mine. We talk a lot. Uh, Craig Bruby, I talk a lot. And, you know, when I took this opportunity, I told those guys, um, I want to reinvent myself. I want to look at, is there different ways to practice, different ways to coach, you know, obviously picking brains like my friends that were head coaches, that helps. Or just like you said, observing, I, I can observe, you know, all the teams now, you know, it's not like, you know, when you're, when you're day-to-day, you know, you as a coach, you do watch other teams every once in a while, but you really focus on your team. Now I can kind of look around and, and see different things and really analyze. And trust me, I got my computer here and I'm, I'm already started um, different ways of how to practice different systems, uh, you know, um, I, I write. I'm gonna, you know, have this all written down and, and and throughout the year and take points here and there and hopefully reinvent yourself. And then when the job opportunity arises, you know, you're ready for it uh, in a different light. So, yeah, I'm using this opportunity. It's just yeah, listen, I'm not just going out just to, you know, to be an analyst. I'm also trying to, you know, 
to learn uh, the game also. I think we're always trying to learn every year. In conversation with Rick Tockett this morning on Rinto and Sermon with Jamie Dodd, currently a TNT analyst. But you were coaching the Coyotes last year. You talk about your relationship with Travis Green. He's got a couple of the players you coached in Vancouver now. Yes. What insight have you offered Travis Green as he tries to help Oliver ekman Larson get back to the player he was during your first couple of years in Arizona? Yeah, I talked to Travis pretty uh, a lot before the trade and then obviously after. Um, you know, he's a good player. Uh, he's been in a market, uh, you know, it's a tough market that hasn't won a lot. You know, there's been a lot of turmoil in that organization for a lot of years. And and I'm not going to lie to you, it's hard to block the noise out. There's a lot of noise with that organization, and I think OEL's been in that market so long, and, um, you know, sometimes it can affect your play, you know. Um, I, I think this is the best thing for him to get away. Uh, we talked even at the end of the year, even when I was, uh, wasn't coming back, we had a conversation and he asked my opinion. I said, if I'm, you know, you're asking me as a, you know, your former coach, I said, get a fresh start, go somewhere. And I know the organization wanted to trade him too. So just, uh, be proactive and be, it's a business for him, like a partnership, try to get out. And Vancouver is a great spot for him. I mean, I really like, uh, the, the Canucks team. I think they got a really good, uh, the, uh, offensive core there with Pedersen and all these guys, uh, and the back end is something they've always wanted to improve. OEL is going to give you 24, 25 minutes a night. Um, if he can be consistent on a game game in, game out kind of situation, I think that's his biggest weakness. If he can be, give you guys a consistent year, you guys are going to make some noise. So, um, And then Connor Garland, um, you know, two, two games, you know, with five, ten to six minutes left in a tight checking game, he's the guy that can score that goal around the net or, or make a, a, a fantastic play to – to make this game three to two. So he's a game breaker. Um, and, you know, he's, he's good. You know, he doesn't have a lot of miles on him either. You know, he's only played 100, what's it, 160 NHL hockey games. So he's got a lot to learn, but he's got his, 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 um, you know, his window is high, you know, his arrow is high. So uh, you got two really good hockey players there. And I think it's going to really help this hockey club, especially uh, down the stretch drive. You mentioned the defensive prowess of Oliver ekman Larson when he's at his best and something that Vancouver needs to improve, wants to improve. In your experience, what type of player functions best with Oliver ekman Larson? What type of player brings out the best in him on a pairing? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, the depth that we had, you know, he had to play with a couple of different guys last year, so that might have affected his play. Um, you know, for me, he... You know, he joins the rush pretty well. He's got a really good shot. He can make a first outlet pass. You know, somewhat, you know, like for me, I, I mean, he could play with all different guys. Um, I still think he should play with a right-handed shot guy because I, I think sometimes when you play him with a left, the puck doesn't get over to him as much when you play him with a righty. That's something that, uh, you know, that I would look at. Um, but he's a guy that um, he, he can when he's on his game, he stops the cycle. And I was talking to Travis Green, something that they wanted Vancouver wanted to improve on. Is being able to you know stall places in the corner and and, and win those puck battles and for transition, it seemed like there was a lot of you know puck possession from teams against Vancouver, especially in the corners with their defense. So I think Oliver is going to really help that where he's going to squash or you know stick on puck, get the puck, and transition the game and get the puck up to their star players. I think that's something that Oliver is going to really help Vancouver with. Um, like every every team wants those type of players, and I think that if he has that mindset. Every night of being that guy that, you know, I'm going to go in a corner and win my battle, but I'm also going to want to be that fourth man in the rush. Uh, If he does that consistently, uh, he'll be definitely a player for you guys. 
This show is heard in Calgary as well. And as you know, a couple of your former Chargers have signed with the Calgary Flames. Brad Richardson yesterday, Tyler Pitlick is there as well. We can all look at that and go, those are Daryl Sutter kind of guys. The real question with Calgary, is there enough scoring there, in your opinion, to be successful this season? You know, I think I think Matthew Kachuk's got, you know, got another, you know, I, I think he's a 30-goal scorer. Um, you know, they got some other guys there. Like, you know, I, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk of Goudreau's going to get traded. Um, you know, um, what's going on with him? Um, you know, guys like that, I think, want to bounce back years. I wouldn't bet against that team. I think they're, they have a veteran team, and they have a solid team. Um, I think that the one thing Tyler Pitlick and Brad Richardson will bring, and that's the Sutter type of team, is uh, a hard forechecking team, which they are. Do they have enough speed? That's the question up front. Uh, can they, you know, do they have that speed that can, uh, you know, separate themselves? I don't know. Um, you know, and that's a team that, you know, the team plays fast. I think you can overcome some of the t- team speed. But I would bet against Calgary. They're a solid hockey team. I just think they got some guys that can have some bounce back years for them. Rick, how frustrating is it to coach against a Daryl Sutter coached team with the way they can shut things down? Well, he's, uh, you know, Daryl's a guy that uh, he believes in one, you know, a couple of ways to play the hockey game. I mean, he, and he loves his players. I've talked to some of their players. He's played in L.A., Justin Williams and Kopitar, those guys. And uh, he lets them be creative. There's just some rules that he doesn't give. And I think that's what makes his teams a hardworking team is they're very successful. They track hard. Um, you know, he likes the big players that can win battles in the corners that go in front of the net. And he can suffocate you defensively uh, with his system. Um, uh, the only thing now is can you, you know, can you open up the, that system book a little bit to get more offense? That's something if you got those players, uh, maybe that'll help in the long run. But, uh, you know, Daryl's a, a guy when you, you come to the rink, you better be, be ready to work. Rick, I wanted to ask you about another player that you coached over the last few seasons in Arizona, and that's Jacob Chikrin. He really had a breakout year last year, and especially with the way the divisions were set up, you know, I don't know how many people in Canada got a chance to watch him on a regular basis. For those that didn't see what he did last year, what really clicked for him and helped him reach that next level? You know, just his smell of offense, like knowing when, like if you watched him a year or two ago, you know, he'd be in too quick or too late. He just didn't have... You know, he, he was off a little bit of time. This timing was really good this year, impeccable. Like, finding that, you know, that fourth guy up in the ice, like, finding that sweet spot. Like, he, I, he at least got eight goals where he was the fourth man in the rush, and he had to time himself where he caught it, caught the puck, and he, he, he's got a, a, an unbelievable wrist shot. Uh, he, you know, his wrist shot's probably harder than anybody's slap shot on their team. Um, so he scored about eight goals off the rush um, or just finding that sweet. And I think that's something that he's really found now got to take this if he wants to get to the Norris Trophy type of player now it's the defensive side you know to be able to have good defensive reads be able to to win your battles in the corner um you know in front of the net um and then obviously you know breaking out um I think if he if he can take that to another level you're going to talk about him as a as a a Norris Trophy candidate uh so that's my only thing is I think the defensive side puck something he's got to improve on in his reads but that's you know listen Young defensemen usually takes them three, four, five years to really become good defense, you know, have good defense in their game. Uh, the offense is there now. they got to find out, you know, can they play 26 minutes against the big boys? You know, can he go against McKinnon uh, and those guys on, on a consistent basis and, 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 and play those guys heads up? 
Speaking of big boys, you coached a couple of them in Pittsburgh when you were assistant with the Penguins. Sidney Crosby, we get the news yesterday that he's out for six weeks. He's going to miss the start of the season. Who knows how far that goes. Malkin's going to miss the start of the season as well. Rick, we saw what an impact it had for Nikita Kucherov being fresh. And I'm not going to suggest that either the Penguins stars are going to sit out the entire season. But are we getting to a point with veteran players, star players, knowing how much the playoffs meant, where we're going to consider or should consider from a coaching perspective giving games off, not playing all 82? Yeah, that's a great question, that load management. Uh, you know, science says that there is some value to um, you know, resting. Uh, and that's hard to do. You know, Sidney Crosby wants to play every game. Um, I know the way he is. I, you know, even Geno Malkin, the same thing. They're very competitive guys. They've got a lot of miles on them. They've played a lot of important hockey games in their career. They've had some short summers, and it catches up to you. You know, the, you know your your body gets uh, beat up pretty good. So uh, is this a uh, blessing in disguise a little bit? Maybe. I mean, Sid works so hard in the summer, maybe take this extra two months off uh, will help him. Same thing with Malkin. Um, I think you have to look at it. Um, you know, I think it's hard for, you know, you have just great players and, and you know, you, you have four games and six nights in the middle of the year. It'd be hard to sit a guy out. I mean, I'd be hard, hard pressed, but I'd understand it. You know, uh, you know, if, if there's some science to it and there's, there's some value to it where, you know, in the long run, it, it's going to help your team. I know, uh, Kawhi Leonard did it, uh, for years, you know, the last couple of years that load management, he got criticized, but, he brought a championship to the Raptors. He was fresh for the playoffs, so there there is value to it. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to be done yet. I don't know, and it's going to be hard to convince some players to sit out because of that. Uh, but yeah, there is some science to that for sure. So, as a coach, what would you need? Would you need a roster that's so loaded like Tampa Bay had? Would you need a vote of confidence from your your general manager saying, "Look, uh, I've got your back. You can do this. We'll take yeah. the heat as an organization." Well, I think that's the answer right there. I, I think any really good organization, the, the, it's seamless through the ownership, management, and coach work. They all believe in a philosophy. And if that's the philosophy, they stick with it. You know, if, 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 and if you do it and uh, you lose 5 nothing, you can't have one of those levels of, you know, coach management or, or ownership, like, second-guess it. You know, that's what I think bad organizations do. They, cha- they change with the wind every week. And I think if you stick with what you believe in, everybody's on board, I think in the long run, you got a better chance of being successful. So, yeah, that's a good point by you. I think it's, it really comes from that, the levels above that, hey, you know, the, the, you know we might not play this, uh, you know, the, we might not play Crosby uh, on this stretch this month on this game, regardless of the record, because I think it's important that, you know, for the next month he's going to be ready. So, uh, but that's an organizational philosophy thing. It, it can't be just one, one level and then the other level second-guessing you guys. Rick, this was a great conversation, as it was the last time we had you on. I want to do this again soon. Congratulations on the new role, and thank you very much for spending some time with us here today. Oh, it's, uh, it's been fun. Thanks, guys. Uh, have a great hockey season. Looking forward to some good hockey. That was awesome, Rick. Thank you, man. Great questions, man. I love it. That was great. Appreciate awesome. Yeah, the, we'll uh... do this. That is Rick Tockett joining us here today. On Sportsnet 650 and Sportsnet 960. And, Jamie, a lot we can dive into there. We're getting texts from listeners throughout the course of the interview. Hey, can you ask Rick talking about this? Yeah. Can you ask Rick talking about that? Can you talk about his Team Canada experiences? Which is interesting because Kelly Rudy actually texted me during the interview saying that friendship with Gretzky began with Team Canada in 1987, which is interesting. I'd love to hear more about that from Rick. But just the note we ended on there. 
and what you would need as a coach. Well, you need organizational backing. You need security from your organization. Okay, this is what we're doing overall as a team. This isn't on you. This isn't, well, our coach just decided to sit our star player today. Nope, we're going to go into this. We're going to double down on it, and let's go. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be at all levels, right? And at bare minimum, the general manager has to be on board. The owner probably has to be on board to a certain extent as well, right, depending how involved they are day-to-day with the team. But the other interesting point that Rick Tocca brought up there is the player has to be on board, right? Yeah. Like that's not going to be an easy conversation. If, if you're a coach who's, okay, looked at the science and I think this is really going to help our team – you know, it might be harder to convince the player in question than the GM at that point, right? As as Rick Tockett said, Sidney Crosby doesn't want to sit out. Evgeny Malkin doesn't want to sit out, right? That might be the actual real sticking point here in the NHL. Yeah, but as guys go on, and depending who they are, because we know how difficult it is to win, and we've talked about some of the players that have had great individual careers, but they haven't won in the playoffs. As your career goes on, Jamie, and you don't get that success, you're probably a little more open to trying different things if you think it's going to lead to what you've wanted all along. Yes, that's a good point. And if, as with so many things with players, right, if you can show them the proof that it helps, they'll have an open mind to it. But I do wonder if it's, you know, breaking the barrier, so to speak, of load management in the NHL. That might be really difficult because there isn't the track record in hockey of it working. Once players see that it can help them, then yes, you expect that they will get on board. Some interesting stuff in there about Oliver Ekman Larson as well. We can get into that throughout the balance of the show. We've got a bunch of texts that have come in following our interview with Stephen Brunt. I want to address those next right here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. The 1-1. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep left field. Screaming down the line. And gone! Vladimir Guerrero Jr. sizzles it to the seats. Number 41 for Vladdy. 6-3 Toronto here in the ninth. His sensational season continues, and the Jays' heater continues as well. That's number 41 last night for Vladdy Jr. He's a couple back, Jamie, of Shohei Otani, who leads the major leagues at 43 home runs. Salvador Perez of Kansas City. He's been on an incredible tear. He's up to 42 now. So Vladdy is third in that race, but Vladdy is tied. For the Major League League in average, he is fourth in home runs, but it, or pardon me, fourth in RBI, but it's not all about Vladdy. It's about what this team is doing right now and what an incredible AL wildcard race we have right now. Seattle won in dramatic fashion yesterday. Boston won in fairly dramatic fashion yesterday. It is on for these next few weeks. It really is. It is three games separating five teams right now, or three and a half, I should say, from Boston in the first wild card spot down to Oakland, who's three games, three and a half games back of Boston. There's only the half game of separation between the Red Sox in, and the Yankees, but things have really, really tightened up over the last week or so, and I'm glad we came in with that Vladdy home run because it, it brought a smile to my face and warmed my heart to see him take uh, our oldest Chapman yard last night. Didn't matter in the final score of things, gave the Jays some nice insurance, but you always love to see that. Well, there's a couple of things. A week to two weeks ago, they don't win that game last night after being up 3 nothing, giving up a, re- a three-run yep. shot to Brett Gardner. We know about some of their struggles in one-run games and close games this season. But the way things are going right now, no problem. They capitalize on an error, and the Jays are back in front. That's just what happens when you're on a heater, and the New York Yankees can't seem to get out of their own way. Two weeks ago, could you have made a plausible case for the Jays being on the verge of a sweep of the Yankees? 
No, it would. It was two weeks ago. Was probably like around right around the low point of the Jays' season, and the Yankees were on an absolute tear at that time, right? So, I mean, I was looking at the standings and saying, "Oh, there's zero chance, zero chance they catch the Yankees." Like their only hope was if the Red Sox continued to stumble a little bit and fall back to the pack. I thought the Yankees were absolutely gone, and they were a lock for the playoffs. It's been an incredible turnaround of the fortunes for both teams. And the Yankees' schedule is going to get a little bit better here after seeing Toronto. They'll play the Mets, who haven't been in a good way. They've got some easier they've got some easier matchups coming, but they still have to play the Red Sox in another series. They'll have to play the Jays again. A lot can happen in a week. A lot can happen in two weeks. And, boy, has a lot happened for the Toronto Blue Jays. The Mariners, they refuse to die. Forget about the run differential. They're good at late yeah. in games. They proved it again yesterday as well with what they did storming back against Houston. A little bit of revenge. They haven't played the Astros particularly well. This is going to be fun over the next couple of weeks. I just hope as a Jays fan that there's no letdown after this series because those games we talk about, okay, the easier games, they're coming. The Orioles and the Twins, just don't take your foot off the gas. Yeah, and hey, like finish the sweep today against the Yankees, right? Like don't let them up off the mat either because you know what? If you lose today, all of a sudden you're back to two and a half games behind the Yankees. Yeah, you take three or four, but if you don't finish the sweep, I think it'll feel pretty deflating, right? You have a chance to really, really put the screws to the Yankees here. I agree with you. Don't take your foot off the gas after that. But, man, job one, finish the job today. Get the sweep in New York. Yeah, it's a lot of fun right now. The scoreboard watch and everything happening in Major League Baseball right now. It's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun at BMO last night. We talked about that off the top of the show. Stephen Brunt was there. He joined us. And we got into this bigger conversation, Jamie, about where Canada is at as a sporting nation. And there's no singular point in time as to where things turned. But I did agree with what Stephen Brunt said about the mindset of people in this country changing around the 2010 Olympics and the Own the Podium program, which was a theory and it was funding and it sounded great. And then we saw it real as a country and we saw how well we performed at 2010 and it does feel like that's a turning point for our expectation of well let's just hope we do well instead of no let's expect that we do well and that we close yeah it's a good point by Stephen Brunt right and you know obviously there's so many factors that go into it you can't just point to own the podium and, and what happened in 2010 but when you're discussing the attitude shift specifically, I do think that's a huge part of it because, you know, we dominated those winter games. It was an incredible performance, and I think it did change how a lot of, probably how a lot of athletes looked at it, but also I know how Canadian fans looked at it, right? It, it flipped it from, oh, you know, it would be nice if we could win a couple gold medals to let's go. Like, we we are competitive in these sports, and we should be taking home gold medals. We should be winning championships. That should be the expectation now going forward. Yeah, Donovan Bailey was just about a decade, almost a decade and a half too early when he came out after the race against Michael Johnson and called him a chicken and had that swag. At the time, we liked it and we applauded Bailey because we were very proud of him and we were very proud as Canadians, but I don't think we adopted that mantra as much. We didn't we didn't look at ourselves as front runners so much, pardon the pun, with Donovan Bailey, but we put that on him. We kind of liked it, but we didn't embrace that attitude of, okay, we expect to win all the time. We expect to win across a variety of sports. After 2010, we started to take that on more, and obviously the delivery from some of our athletes and some of our teams it is has added that, and it's given us fuel for that, but we just look at it so much differently here in 2021 than we once did. Yeah, and... 
you know, to your point, I think Donovan Bailey was more of a one-off than than a, than subsequent things have felt, right? Like you've said that with Larry Walker. Like Larry Walker was the only guy. You know, Steve Nash was the only high-level NBA player. There were other guys in the league, but you know, they were much farther down rosters, much less relevant. I think that's kind of what Donovan Bailey felt like, right? The only high-level Olympic athlete who was who was operating at that level. Now we don't really see that. And I mean, the best example has been at the U.S. Open. Like Bianca Andreescu can lose, Shapovalov can lose, and we still have two players in the semifinals at the U.S. Open. It's incredible how far we've come. You see it in baseball with the amount of Canadians representing. In basketball, you see it really across sports where it's not just these one-off individuals it's a whole cohort of athletes unsigned texter sends in this jamie it's the money on the podium injected a bunch of money into canadian sport like jamie said better development from increased funding in any sport besides hockey which asked which had a lot of of funding pardon me just cleaning up the text here leads to athlete development from better overall training physical training nutrition and don't discount access to information slash technique training online to learn it from seeing more also plays a role and i'm glad the texter added that at the end because i don't think it's just money you can't just throw money at something and expect that it's going to deliver part of it is culture part of it is athlete identification part of it is coaching at youth levels like it goes so many different areas which is why Stephen brunt you i we can't pin down any one moment or any one thing that has turned it it's a lot of these things collectively as a country it is and you know we got into this a little bit with brunt when we had him on the line i do and i don't want to sound like i'm being pessimistic at all but you also have to recognize you know alfonso davies is an incredible singular unique talent we might not always have an alfonso davies to rely on as a canadian soccer team right now Should we have way more depth and way more talent available than we have in the past? Yes, but I do think you also have to kind of be cognizant. There's going to be generational athletes that pop sometimes, right? And if at some point in the future, you know, we're not quite as dominant at tennis or we don't quite have the same level of attacking ability as we do in soccer right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've declined as a nation. It's just cyclical. And I think right now what we're seeing is a combination of things. It's a combination of the infrastructure getting better, the culture getting better, the funding getting better. And we just happen to have a few really, really special athletes all coming up together at the same time. Right. But if we use the Canadian women's soccer team as the example here, and Brunt mentioned this during the interview, and I agree with this wholeheartedly, we once thought, look, when Christine yep. Sinclair goes, there's going to be this massive drop-off. But she and the rest of the women that helped build the program, they helped raise the floor of talent across this country because so many more people got turned on to the sport. Our development module got a lot better. And so there isn't this fall-off. You might not have that generational athlete, but basketball is another good example. Like, we thought Andrew Wiggins a few years ago, like, Okay, number one overall pick. And we knew Steve Nash was the MVP, but, man, Canada has a number one overall pick in the NBA draft. I'm not sure we'll ever see that again. It didn't work out for Anthony Bennett, but he was a number one overall pick. Shaden Sharp, I don't know if you caught that story yesterday. He committed to Kentucky yesterday. He's Canadian. He happens to be the top class of 22 prospect, prospect class of 22 ranked athlete anywhere. And he committed to Kentucky. Like, there's more coming. And so what happens is it raises the floor. And maybe you don't have that generational athlete to put you over the top when it gets down to the biggest competitions, but it raises the floor of your expectations so that, okay, if Canada falls short of a World Cup in men's soccer qualifying 20 years from now, 
that feels like a major disappointment, but at the very least, they're at the stage they're at right now, which already feels like an accomplishment. I think raising the floor is a great way to put it, right? And the the example of the women's team is also a really good example because, yeah, okay, you're not you might not have you know the best player in the world or the most dominant player in the world or the most prolific scorer, but you have enough talent elsewhere to sustain a certain level, even without Christine Sinclair at the peak of her powers, right? And that's how it's going to be, I think, for Alfonso Davies in the men's program, right? You're not, we're not always going to have the best player in CONCACAF. That's not always going to be the case, as we do right now. But you have to have—the hope is, and the reality it looks like, is that we have the depth to still sustain a really competitive winning program, even without those guys at the very, very peak of the game. Frank says, guys, don't discount the effect MLS has had in Canada in making players, same as the Raptors did with basketball. That's part of it. I think that's a part of it. It gives us a domestic place to play. That's why the advent of the CPL, in the opinion of many who are closer to to soccer, is is such a big thing for this country, that we have a domestic league. And it's not that the CPL is going to churn out national team player after national team player. But it's another place for those late-blooming athletes to play. And you're going to get some of those CPL players who move on to the MLS, and one of those players is going to play for our national team at some point in time because you don't always get your identification right early. No, absolutely. It's it's you're right. It's for late bloomers. It's also just to encourage people to stick with the game because they see a path to being a professional player in their home country. And then, as you say, maybe they pop a little later, or maybe it's just because you know if you're 13, 14, trying to decide what sport you want to play, maybe you do choose soccer over something else because you say, hey, you know what? I can actually stick around in Canada and be a professional. That 13, 14-year-old, who knows what they're going to look like at 18 or 19, right? Then they could be end up in MLS or a European league at some point down the road. But the CPL might be the thing that encourages them to stick with soccer. Mario in Richmond sent this one in, and it was on the subject of filling the stands with Canadian fans, cheering for Canada. They were all Canadian fans there last night in the fact that they're Canadian, but there were a number of El Salvador supporters, which, hey, cheer for you. I'm not going to tell you who you have to cheer for. Mario in Richmond disagrees. He says, when you're living in Canada, you should not be cheering for any country other than Canada. Just my opinion. I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly, Jamie. Mario, if I move you to the United States and Canada and the U.S. play in any competition and you're living in the States, are you telling me, Mario, yeah. that you're not going to go cheer for Canada? I think you would be. Yeah, you're you're not showing up uh, with the stars and stripes. No, man, to go to go cheer for the United States in that scenario. I don't think so. I mean, even if you know, if you were if you got a job in Europe somewhere overseas, right, and and Canada comes through to play uh, whatever sport it is there, yeah, of course you're going to go represent the Maple Leaf. And all that Milan Borjan was saying last night, in my opinion, Jamie was, this needs to be forefront for you. We're putting forth something that hasn't been done in a long time. Look at this team. We're on the cusp of getting to a World Cup. And hopefully you're so into this that when tickets become available, that Canadians who cheer for Team Canada snap them up faster than those who are going to support the opposition. So that it looks like the scenes we see from other places. That when when Canada went down to the U.S., for example, and it's tough right now because of COVID and the inability to travel, but when Canada went down and played the U.S. in Nashville on the weekend – 
90-something percent of those in attendance were cheering for the U.S. And when Canada scored and when something good happened for Canada, they'd flash to that real small contingent in the crowd yeah. who, were, who were wearing <laughs> the Maple Leaf and were cheering for Canada or were standing up after, after Kyle Laren's goal. And all Borean's saying is, let's make it more like that. Let's just change yeah. the balance here so that it's 90-something percent people cheering for Canada and wearing red jerseys and less than 10 percent cheering for the opponent. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very, I think, a very fair request from the keeper because this team, as we've been talking about, they have the goods. They, they've, they've shown you enough to convince fans to get on board here. And, you know, earlier in the show when we were talking about it, Scott, you know, we had, we had a text come in and say, hey, I've never watched a soccer game before, but I've sat down and watched all of two of these first three games in qualifying, right? And I think that's the kind of power that this team can have if they do real either qualify for the world cup or at least threaten late in this qualification stage to get to the world cup you're going to see a lot more stories like that of people saying you know what i was never really a soccer fan but hey if we have this kind of opportunity as our national team yeah i'm going to sit down and i'm going to get invested just to follow up on that concept of hey if you're living in canada you should be cheering for canada burke from the loops make a makes a good point and you're not alone in making this point over the last 24 hours burke he says Many of our current world-class athletes are product of our successful immigration programs. Tennis, track, soccer, the list goes on. Great athletes, great Canadians, many more coming. It's remarkable, and that is absolutely 100% true, Jamie. Yes, it's that's a huge, huge part of this story, no doubt about it. And we, I mean, you look at Alfonso Davies' story specifically, right, arriving as a refugee and you, you know, you remember the the speech that he gave to FIFA as part of, you know, trying to get the World Cup to come in, in part to Canada in 2026. It's it's a great point. Like, it really is a big part of the story that, yes, the fact that we are a society which, you know, prides ourselves on, on welcoming immigrants, even if we don't always do the best job of it, it's a huge part of this story of athletic success. Yeah, sometimes it depends on where you're born. Like, you're not, I'm not going to ask anyone. The same way I wouldn't ask a Canadian who got transplanted somewhere else in the world for whatever reason to not cheer for Canada if this was the culture you grew up in. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that to any of our immigrants who have grown up anywhere else. I would never ask someone to do that. That's okay. We had in fact we had Ricky Romero on what was it last month, Jamie, or maybe yep. the month before and we were talking a little soccer with him at the end. His wife is Carl Lang, Canadian soccer royalty in my opinion, helping build this program alongside Christine Sinclair in the early part of this century. And he says, hey, man, when it comes to women's soccer, I cheer for Team Canada. That's that's a family thing. But he says when it comes to the men's side of things, I cheer for Mexico. And we had someone text in saying, hold on, he was born in the States and he cheers for Mexico. Well, that's part of his heritage. That's, yep. that's what it is. And there are lots of Canadians all over the world who – you know, maybe are born in, in different countries, but their parents are Canadian and they are raised to cheer for Team Canada and that's and that's what they adopt. Yeah, and that's that's just fine by me. As you said, it's part of your heritage. I mean, we see certainly plenty of Canadians support different European teams or, or other teams when, you know, the Euros of the World Cup comes around. I, I have no issue whatsoever with it. Yeah, nor do I. I am with there as well. Someone texting in, no more Owen Hargraves. I'm kind of with <laughs> Brunt on that one, aren't you? Like, I understand yeah. the thought of, hey, he's born in Canada, he's a Canadian, he should go try to lead, try to recruit other people. But the, the program was in such a state that, yes, Owen Hargraves would have helped, but there's no chance he would have been able to live out his own individual soccer dream had he chosen to play for our country over England. 
No, and Owen Hargraves was a great player. And, you know, he had a really successful career in Europe and, and playing for the English national team. But he also wasn't the style of player that was going to transform the Canadian team, right? You know, he wasn't this dynamic attacking talent that all of a sudden, you know, hey, if you put him in the lineup, who knows what the ceiling is for Canada? Would have helped. Would have made a big difference. But, I mean, the guy was suiting up for one of the best sides in the world, in the World Cup, in the European Championships. It's hard to pass up that kind of opportunity. Layla goes later today, man. Layla is playing in the semifinal. She's got a tough matchup, but she's had, what, th- three tough matchups oh, in yeah. a row here, and, and she has overcome each of them to this point in time. I know I'm going to be tuning into that one. It's a 7 o'clock Eastern start, and I saw that there's weather potential in New York that shouldn't affect the tennis because they've got the roof there now. Might affect the Blue Jays game a little later. One of our texters was saying, I'm hoping it doesn't affect either of those those games, and certainly Layla yep. getting on on the court and hopefully hopefully taking down Sabalenka and advancing to the US Open final. I can't wait. Man, not only is it just impressive that she's here, her matches have been so fun to watch. She has been so entertaining and so compelling and so fun to watch. Like I I just can't wait for the match. It's appointment viewing right now. Yeah, there's a lot on today. The Jays can try to continue their heater. We just mentioned Leilani Fernandez. You've got the kickoff of the NFL season between the Bucks and Cowboys. We can get into that in the final hour of our program. Jamie, just while we have both audiences here, I don't like to end on a down note, but it's an important note, so I wanted to send some well wishes out there. Our best and our condolences to Scott Oak and the Oak family. Yeah. All of you know who he is. He lost his wife this week of 41 years. She succumbed to an autoimmune disease within her liver at the age of 65 years old so certainly our best wishes go out to the oak family yes i i completely agree you know scott oak we again you we all know who he is we all see him on the tv he's fantastic we also know i think most of us what a tough time that family has had in recent years yeah another another devastating blow here and yeah my heart goes out to to scott oak And what we hope is not a devastating blow, and we will pull for him, and we are hoping that he is going to be talking to us as a survivor at some point in time, part of the media fraternity. I know he works for the other side. This obviously goes long beyond it. Darren Detition, he hasn't been on SportsCenter lately on TSN. He made the announcement today that he's fighting cancer. He's been diagnosed with cancer. He looks forward to beating it. There was no detail in terms of, of what type or anything like that, the announcement he made online, I'm off Sports Center for a bit. I have been diagnosed with cancer. I'm getting some incredible treatment with some amazing doctors and can't wait to return. Hashtag daddy's home soon. We wish him all the best in his fight. Absolutely. Legend, I would say. I know I watched him all the time growing up as a sports fan. And, you know, it's tough to hear, but you also can hear that he is he's keeping some of that humor in it, right? And he's hes fighting, and he expects to be back, and we're all wishing him the best. Yeah, we're pulling for you, Dutchie. Absolutely. We will make our turn in the final hour of our program on the West Coast in Calgary. We'll turn you over to the big show, let you get back to local programming there. We'll hook up one final time tomorrow morning with you. Enjoy your afternoon on the eastern side of the Rockies. You and I, we got some unfinished business. One hour of the show to go. Brendan Batchelor has been monitoring those Canucks who've been in town and doing some skating. He will join us next right here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dot. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. The real question, Jamie, is do we talk about anything besides hands? When we have Batchelor on <laughs> in three or four minutes here, do we ask him about anything besides Vasily Podkolzin's hands? 
We got some good response on that yeah. yesterday. People were fired up to get in on the hands conversation. It was out of nowhere, and other people noticed it as I did. I saw a picture of Vasily Podkolzin posted. He'd arrived in town. It was on his Instagram. And I looked at the photo, and I wasn't concerned, oh, okay, what part of town is he staying in? Or what type of shirt is he wearing? I saw his hands that looked huge. Are those, like, is that some type of photo effect because of where the person with the <laughs> iPhone or whatever device is standing? Are his hands that big? This is really what I want to know from Batch. Batch has, you know, first-hand, pardon the pun, experience now. He's seen, he has seen Vasily Podkolzin live, in person, on the ice. I hope he was, you know, taking notes about hand size while he was there watching, watching them skate. I hope that's what was, you know, the first thing on his mind. We did have somebody text in earlier saying, hey, guys, I know that it's not quite hockey season yet, but surely there should be an update on the Canucks. I mean, something. I, shouldn't you guys have a translator on to find out what Bud Coles is saying? It's a little disappointing. <laughs> We've got Batch coming on, and yes, training camp is two weeks away. We know there's an appetite for hockey in this market. No one is going to question that. However, as we've discussed throughout the course of this week and the course of this show, there's also a lot happening right now in the world of sports, and I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think the two of us are the only ones, Jamie, who are interested in the great, diverse, exciting nature of what's happening in sports right now. Oh, absolutely we are. There's a lot going on. And, you know, to the point about the Canucks, look, they're skating. I know it's exciting to see some of the new players kind of get together and skate for the first time. I understand that. It also does feel like we're waiting for one of two things to happen, right? Which one is training camp to start, right? Officially to start. Or to get news about Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Those are kind of the two things that are out there on the horizon that would really ignite some Canucks conversation. You know, until then, it's going to be, oh, okay, hey, Vasily Pagolzin is skating. That's nice. This other guy, you know, had a couple things to say. That's cool, too. But you're not going to see anything really earth-shattering until one of those two things happens. I don't think we're going to be very good this year. I just don't think we're – can you imagine if somebody said that? Now, that would be news <laughs> because what you hear at every single one of these skates, Jamie, these informal gatherings that includes players from other teams like Alex Edler now and, and Martin Jones and, and Brendan Dillon who have been out there skating with some players who are going to play for Vancouver this year is, yeah, I'm really excited about the season. I'm in great shape. How many? We should do an over-under on best shape of my life. Yes. How many times yeah. do you hear best shape of my life from – maybe we can just specify with Canucks players this year. Well, and especially with the amount of changes the Canucks made this year, you're going to hear a lot of, oh, I can't wait to get going. So excited. New guys. You know, we put put last year behind us. I just can't wait to get going. And there's something to it. It can work. We saw what happened with JT Miller a couple of years ago and the breakout season he had during his first one in Vancouver with the change of scenery and everything he did. Can something like that happen for Oliver ekman Larson? If you missed Rick Tockett, we'll play that answer for you at some point during the course of this hour. I thought some interesting insight on what OEL is and how he can get back to being what the Vancouver Canucks want him to be and also what the Canucks need him to do. And, and certainly he specified one thing in particular, Jamie, in that answer, that the Canucks want to change in their defensive zone. Yeah, and it was also interesting to hear him kind of share his thoughts about which player is going to look best or which type of player, at least, is going to look best. Because I think, you know, that's been one of the questions in the offseason. You look at the Canucks blue line and you say, OK, you know, Quinn Hughes, number one left defenseman, Oliver ekman Larson, number two left side defenseman. You feel pretty good about that. Other than those spots, I think there's a lot of questions about where guys are going to line up, who is going to play with who on that right side 
in particular, and I thought it was interesting to hear Rick Tockett's thoughts about, you know, which kind of partner might work best for Oliver ekman Larson. So we'll play that for you at some point during this hour. Someone texting in, man hands, I need another picture of man hands. I got, <laughs> I got chastised by one of my buddies in my fantasy football league who I've known for a long time yesterday, right off the air. Like, we just finished the show, and I went to check in on our fantasy football chat, which is vibrant at all hours of the day. And the first thing addressing me was, how did you not make a Seinfeld reference when you were talking about Vasily Podkolzin's hands yes. yesterday? When we were when we spent minute after minute talking about large hands, <laughs> it's a great it's a great question. I think he has just average hands. He is Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, joining us now here on your home of Canucks Hockey Sportsnet 650. Batch, first time we've talked in September. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. First things first. Let's get to the important stuff. Canada v England international soccer match. You are there. What color jersey are you wearing? Who are you supporting? England, for sure. Um, and that's not uh, not because I wouldn't want Canada to have success or anything like that, but it's you know a, an emotional connection I've been sharing for the England national team, and I've seen them play at World Cups since I was a little kid. Uh, you know, certainly I would love to see Canada get there and do well, and I would want Canada to win every other game. Um, but you know, there there are players that that play on Manchester United, who I'm a fan of, that are on the English team as well. So uh, that's probably where I would go in that uh, in that specific instance. Batch, it's been great talking to you. We can do this in a couple of years. <laughs> <That was good>. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, your answer to that has got to be Canada, doesn't I'm cheering for Canada against Italy if that ever happens on a, on a big stage. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be repping the Maple Leaf. I'm not as committed an uh, international soccer fan as i know like batch you know Irfan gafar probably falls into that category as well i'm much more of a casual english supporter so yeah it would be easy for me to make the switch to canada batch just lost a whole bunch of followers on twitter but that's just fine okay so the next <laughs> the next big question and i mean that i mean that literally how big are vasily pod colson's hands was that just photo trickery that i saw on the weekend have you seen his mitts does he have rather large hands I have not seen them outside of gloves, uh, so I, I cannot provide in-depth analysis on that. But uh, he's looked good out on the ice, uh, you know, for some of these informal skates this week. Uh, looks like he fits in pretty well with the NHL group. And, you know, if he's got large mitts, too, uh, that'll only help him, I'm sure. I mean, Batch, so based on, you know, two very serious, very high-intensity kind of pre-training <laughs> camp skates, are, are you prepared to say right now that Vasily Podkolzin is the Calder Trophy frontrunner at this point, based on what you've seen over the last couple of days on the ice here? Well, based on the fact that I've seen no other rookies around the league on the ice, <laughs> yes, he's the Calder Trophy frontrunner, without a doubt. Um, and it's funny, I know, you know, people... Uh, always want to sort of read into stuff very much. And, oh, how's he looking out there? In conditioning skates, it's uh, it's so hard to tell other than, you know, he skates well, uh, he shoots the puck nice and hard, so that's good to see. He's, you know, testing NHL goaltenders and bring on NHL goaltenders in these, uh, you know, these informal skates. Um, but I thought Bo Horvat put it best yesterday when speaking with the media when he said, you know, he looks good. Uh, I like the skating, I like the shot, but I'm excited to see him in game situations. And that's really where you're going to learn 
uh, how far Vasily Podkolzin has come in his development and whether he's going to be able to jump right into the Canucks lineup and be an impact player right away or whether he'll need a little bit more time. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with Pod Colson. You know, I know for myself, and I think for a lot of other people, I've kind of just penciled him in mentally into a third-line role or at least a bottom-six role with this team in his rookie year, and that's partly because of, you know, all of a sudden the Canucks look like they have more depth in the top six, and what we hear about Pod Colson's game is he, he has that style of play that can immediately translate into a bottom six role. But do you think there's a chance that Travis Green maybe rolls the dice a little bit and tries Pod Colson higher up in the lineup out of the gate? Absolutely, I do, just because we've seen him do that with young players before. Niels Hoaglander got a chance in the top six right at the start of camp last season. And, you know, it was a a shortened camp and there was no preseason. So uh, he kind of got thrown into the fire a little bit. But you know what? Hoaglander did well in that role. Uh, We saw him do it with Elias Pettersson, too. Um, And, you know, certainly Elias Pettersson is a a unique talent, but... uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we at least see Pod Colson get that chance early in the year. And then, you know, how he does with that opportunity will dictate whether he stays there. But, you know, we're so used to talking about a top six and a bottom six with the Canucks. The way I look at this year's team is it's kind of a top nine and a bottom three where, you know, they'll have the opportunity if they want to take it to roll out skilled players on all three of those lines to try and produce offense. So even if we have Pod Colson penciled in on the third line, let's say, there's a chance that he'll get to play with, you know, Tanner Pearson or Jason Dickinson or even JT Miller if he goes down the middle. Um, so just because he, he may end up being in a third line role, I don't necessarily see the Canucks third line being that line that we've seen over the last few years where it's been primarily a checking role guys on that line are often penalty killers as well and it doesn't produce a lot of offense I kind of see a a situation where where that'll be a line that can produce offense for them as well maybe just as much as uh some of the 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 lines you know the top two lines I guess Brendan Batcher play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks joining us here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd as you mentioned you spoke to Bo Horvat yesterday what was the general tone you got from the captain yeah, excitement, uh, and, and that's the general tone I've, I've felt around the, the informal skates both yesterday and today. Uh, the guys are just excited to be back. They're excited uh, that, you know, there's a season starting at the time of year that it's supposed to start at, that they're not heading into a bubble, that, you know, there is some level of normalcy around the preparation for this year with a normal training camp and preseason. And, you know, the captain was pretty candid in his remarks, too, that, you know, this is a team that's coming in uh, with expectations to get back to the hockey club that we saw, you know, have so much success in the bubble last year. That They feel that that's the kind of team they can be. And with the new additions, they believe that they can take a step in that direction. Uh, you know, they don't really want to talk, and, and he didn't really want to talk too much about last year, and you can understand why with the, the way that season went. But um, excitement and expectation are, are the two words that I would sort of use to describe both the mood of the captain and of, you know, all the Canucks that are out at these skates. Ian McIntyre has a good piece up right now on sportsnet.ca, and Bo Horvat is the guy who's commenting in it. And it's about him getting vaccinated and the struggles he and his family went through with COVID-19 last year and about how 
He is obviously a big proponent of vaccination, and he hopes every single player in the organization goes down the exact same road if they haven't already. Batch, more than anything, does that show you a growing comfort with his role as a leader of this hockey club? Absolutely, and not just his role as a, a leader of the Canucks, but his role as a leader in our community as well, right? You know, you would hope that Bo Horvat coming out and, and giving an interview like that and saying things like that about vaccination might encourage fans to go and get vaccinated if they haven't already, too. Um, so, you know, he's, he's had uh, a number of years of experience in a leadership role now with this group and in a, a leadership role during, you know, one of the toughest times we've seen as a society and, you know, one of the toughest years the Canucks have had in a long time last year, too. So, um, you know, those comments don't surprise me from Horvat. That's the kind of character guy he is. That's, you know, what I would expect him to say. And, uh, you know, I, I think it only bodes well for the Canucks that he's maturing, you know, not just as a person. He's a father now as well, uh, but as a leader both in that dressing room and outside of it. And looking at Horvat and, you know, what ki- what type of season he might have on the ice batch, you know, as you say, he's he's matured a lot. He's not a young player anymore, right? He's a veteran. He's 26 years old. He's the captain of the team. But I look at the moves the team made in the offseason. I, I really think Horvat might be one of the guys that stands to benefit the most because, you know, you bring in a guy like Connor Garland who might suit up on his wing and can be a very effective player. And just in general, having more depth in the forward ranks, you would think it might reduce some of the burden on Bo Horvat. Maybe he's not asked to play quite as difficult minutes and quite as difficult matchups as as he has been in the past. Again, you know, it's not a young player that we're waiting to really break out, but do you think we could see kind of a career year breakout type season from Bo Horvat this year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, For a couple of reasons. One, as you allude to, the guys that will likely line up on his wings will be players that are capable and deserving of playing a top six role and not guys that are being miscast in that position because of a lack of depth, as we saw over the last few years, whether it was, you know, Louis Erickson or Jake Vertanen or even Tyler Mott at times played at that spot in the lineup. And that's nothing against Tyler Mott, but generally speaking, he's going to be a bottom six energy penalty kill guy. He's not someone you want to rely on for offensive production in the, in the top six. So uh, absolutely. You know, the, the options are there. Horvat could play with Hoaglander again. He could play with Pearson as they've had a lot of success. On the other wing, you know, Dickinson could be a winger. Garland could play there. Uh, Pod Colson could play there. There are all sorts of options uh, that look a, a whole lot more appealing on Horvat's wings than really any of the options that we've seen over the last few years. And then I think Dickinson is a key as well because many people expect that he'll line up as the third line center. And if the lineup does indeed play out that way, he's, you know, sort of a Bo Horvat light in the sense that he is a guy that can play a matchup role. Uh, you know, he has played a matchup role. He played a matchup role for the Dallas Stars at the Stanley Cup final against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the bubble. Um, and that could take some of that pressure off Horvat to be the line that has to always play against the other team's top players which in turn could mean more offensive production for him. So because of those two factors in particular, and then, you know what, that would even apply if they move JT Miller down the middle and go with Pedersen Horvat and, and Miller down the middle as well and move Dickinson to the wing or even further down the lineup to the fourth line, that the added depth, not just at the wings, but at center, 
takes a ton of pressure off Horvat, and you would hope anyway that it frees him up to produce some more offense. Well, and especially Batch, I think when you look at who they were running out at third line center for the past couple of years, you know, often Adam Gaudet, who never really earned Travis Green's trust to play that kind of defensive matchup role. I totally agree with you. I think the addition of Jason Dickinson could be a really major one. You know, you brought up Tyler Mott, and I think he his role on this team this year, it kind of really symbolizes how much they've improved. Because as you said, he was asked at different points to play up the lineup last year. Now you, you can pencil him in for that fourth line alongside Brandon Sutter, another guy who you look at and say, okay, he probably slots in in a more appropriate spot on the depth chart now. If you think it is going to be Sutter and Mott to start on that fourth line, man, they've got a ton of options, a ton of options of guys who could potentially claim the final spot on the fourth line. Is there one name that jumps out to you or that you think might have a leg up to claim that final spot? There really isn't, and I think that speaks to the level of competition they're going to have for that final forward spot. You know, they, they brought in some guys that have pro experience and NHL experience. You know, Phil Giuseppe is one. McPatan is another, a guy like Zach McEwen is still in the organization and will still be wanting to push for that spot. So it's really hard to gauge who will make the opening night roster as that 12th forward. And, you know, as we've seen with the Canucks under Travis Green, they put, you know, a lot of weight on how well you do in training camp and how well you do in the preseason. And Mott's a perfect example of that. Um, You know, I guess it was a couple years ago now, uh, coming into the season, everybody had him penciled in as a guy that was going to go and start the year in Utica. And the Canucks, even the season before, had sat him out of games to make sure that he didn't get to the games played uh, threshold that would mean he would have to go through waivers so they would have the opportunity to send him down. And yet he performed so well in training camp and so well through the preseason that they couldn't keep him off the opening night roster. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, that, that group of forwards, uh, you know, Sheldon Drys is another one who has NHL experience. The guys they've signed uh, for all intents and purposes to be the, the top of your lineup in Abbotsford for the new AHL team starting this year, all of those guys are going to be coming into camp with one thing on their mind, and that will be that there is a roster spot open uh, in the top 12 forwards, and it's there for the taking. Uh, and I have I have absolutely no feel for who could grab that. It, it it could depend stylistically as well. Do they want an energy guy to play a fourth line role, or do they see someone else that they could move down the lineup? And then you know a skilled guy like Nick Patan could slot in on a third line and try and provide some offense. So that's going to be one of the more fascinating training camp battles, mainly because it's one of the few battles where an NHL job is actually on the line, and it's not just jockeying for position as to which line uh, you might end up on at the start of the year. Well, it does feel like there is a theme throughout this team, given some of the turnover and some of the players that will be on this roster of, hey, something to prove here, whether it's Oliver ekman Larson, I can get back to the guy that I was before, or a Jack Rathbone trying to crack the opening night roster. Even a guy like Jason Dickinson, who you brought up, I not that he's going to do what JT Miller did offensively, But just listening to him speak, and I wonder if you concur, I get the sense from him that he wants to prove to this hockey team he's more than just a defensive center, that there's a little more to give offensively as well. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if he gets opportunities up the lineup. You know, I I mean, we talk so much about the Lions, and we know with Travis Green in the past few years that, you know, the Lions almost never stay consistent from game to game. 
but there is an opportunity for him to, to get into a situation now where if he finds the right mix and the Canucks can provide consistent production offensively, that, that maybe, you know, he does stick with the same lines for longer stretches if the team is doing well. And for a guy like Jason Dickinson, absolutely. He will believe that he has more offense in his game than what he's shown to this point. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if people within the organization feel that there's that possibility as well. And in terms of reliability, this is a guy that's an, an NHL veteran uh, who you can comfortably rely on to provide, you know, a strong defensive game, if not, you know, produce more offense than he has to this point, which at, at some points in the season may be what Travis Green wants to look at rather than giving a young guy an opportunity to play further up the lineup and, and maybe having to live with some mistakes. I'm sure it's going to be a feeling out process for Green through you know preseason and, and training camp and into the season. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we're talking about Jason Dickinson, top six winger, as opposed to Jason Dickinson, third line centerman once we get into the season. Okay, so you're a notepad guy, or do you type things into your note, your virtual notepad in your 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 device? Like, what do you do, Batch? Where do you keep your reminders? Uh, reminders in terms of you know Things being you able to, to come back and take a victory lap if I'm right that Jason Dickinson's on the second line in a month. No, no, not that. I'm just talking about things like, hey, this is something I need to do, a task at hand. Like I need you to go find out how big Pod Colson's hands are, so I need to know where that's going to live. <laughs> okay, the uh, the reminders app yeah. on my iPhone is what I use, so it pops up. Okay, me, yeah. So as soon as we're done this, you can type that in. Okay, so I know you'll do that because you're a very diligent person. And based on your first answer during this conversation, I have a present for you, Greg. Can you play it for him? Pressure on a 19-year-old. And now. champions for only the second time 53 years after the first a long wait is over for the Azzurri but not for England it's deja vu for Gareth Southgate ah there it is there it is my goodness Scotty wow I I, I, I knew you were cold-blooded Scotty but I didn't know you were that (laughs) cold-blooded oh I'm cold-blooded all right man you know when it comes to international competition in Europe I'm cheering for Italy but not against Canada if they line up I'm cheering for Canada there Batch thanks for doing this and having some fun with us here today buddy yep thanks guys appreciate it have a good one that is Brendan Batchelor play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks that hurts I don't know doesn't it I don't know. Not really. Not as much. Anyways, I don't know if I've ever seen that side of you, Scotty. You know, Batch comes on, takes a little time out to to shoot the breeze with us, have a chat, and you just go for the jugular at the end. I love it. Well, I felt like he took a piece of me at the beginning of the interview when I asked him who he'd cheer for. I was I was surprised. I was surprised, and I won't tell him who he yeah. has to cheer for. He is within his right to cheer for England against Canada if they ever meet in in a match of meaning in international soccer, but I was surprised. I thought Brendan Batcher would have said, nope, I would cheer for Canada in that situation. I was a little surprised, not necessarily by the answer at the end, but by the certainty and the ease of the answer, right? Like there was no hesitation. It was just like, oh, England, 100%. That surprised me a little bit, that it wouldn't even be a dilemma for him. That I'll admit to being surprised by that. Yeah, so was I. Like, that was a reflex. That wasn't a, I, yes. you know, I've never really thought about it because Canada hasn't been good enough in my lifetime to be in some sort of meaningful match against England. Friendly, sure, but who really cares that much about a friend? Like, he answered right away. I'll give him this, conviction, courage of his yep. conviction. He knew Absolutely. that probably he knew that probably wouldn't sit well with, 
with me, he probably knew that wouldn't sit well with the audience. I give him I give him credit for sticking his neck out like that, and then you saw what I did to it at the end with my guillotine-type <laughs> clip that I played for him. <laughs> he stuck his neck out, and he paid the price. <laughs> yes, he did. Who's next? Who's next? I'll tell you who. Rick Talkie. We'll play that answer for you. I thought very interesting. Next, your comments are coming in. We'll get to them on the other side. Final segment of Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd next. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. We will solicit your opinion on this in the final segment of the show. We've been engaging it a little bit throughout the course of the day. Which team has the best chance to run it back and win a championship again this season? So we're going with teams that are defending titles in North America. Is it the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who kick off tonight? Is it the Milwaukee Bucks who get going next month? Is it the Tampa Bay Lightning? Jamie, are you surprised at all that 53% of the respondents on Twitter are saying the Tampa Bay Lightning have the best chance of doing it? I'm not surprised because obviously our audience is more hockey-focused and your Twitter followers tend to be more hockey-first over anything else, so I understand that. And I just think that Tampa, look, they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, right? They've acquired this kind of air, this aura of invincibility. So I think a lot of hockey fans just see them as inevitable, right? Like, oh, yeah, of course Tampa's going to win. That's not my answer, but I'm not surprised that it's leading the poll. It's hardest to make the playoffs in the NFL. Fewer teams percentage-wise get in compared to the NBA or the National Hockey League. There's actually a pretty good historical argument. If you just want to look at recent history – then your answer is probably the Milwaukee Bucks. People just don't feel as confident in that group. They see it as a one-off. They don't see them as a loaded roster. As good as they were in the playoffs, people don't view it that way. But the NBA, just history-wise, Jamie, the NBA should be the answer based on history. It's a good point. You also feel like, look, Tampa's going to make the playoffs, but it's even easier for the top teams to make the playoffs in the NBA than it is in the NHL, so they don't even have to clear that hurdle. I think for me with the Bucks. I'm not trying to disrespect the Bucs because they're a fantastic team. Giannis is an incredible player. It's just the specter of a fully healthy Brooklyn team. I think that's keeping me from choosing Milwaukee or really entering Milwaukee into the conversation because that's a team you got to go through in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and they look like they could be an absolute powerhouse this year. So interesting you bring that up because health is vital to any of these teams' championship aspirations. Did you see the stat that came out earlier this week of how healthy the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were relative to the last of the N- yeah. rest of the NFL last year? Like it was a wide margin. Like usually the healthiest teams a little bit healthier than number 2. They were so much healthier than the rest of the league last year. It is crazy. It's a good point and that's the kind of thing that in the NFL it's it's not as if you can say, "Oh, well, it's just cuz they have more durable players or they no. have the best training staff." Like that can change it a little bit, but those you tend to see wild swings in that stat from year to year, right? Like that that's the kind of thing, you know, I've asked a couple guests uh this week on the program like, "Okay, what could trip up the Buccaneers in their in their bid to repeat?" That's a great example. Health, right? And obviously you think of Tom Brady first and foremost at his age, but you go up and down the lineup, you're right, they were extremely extremely healthy last year and there's no guarantee that's going to repeat itself. And if you get hurt at the wrong position, if you get hurt at a position yep. like quarterback obviously, but a position where you're thin to begin with, Look, we're, they're playing a team tonight that got hurt at the quarterback last year, Dak Prescott. We played the clip earlier on the show where Carson Carson Palmer, pardon me, is a little concerned about Dak Prescott. He's coming off the ankle injury. It was a serious ankle injury that needed surgery and obviously getting back from that. But now he's got a little bit of a shoulder issue in training camp already. Carson Palmer is a little wary of that. Man. 
Dak Prescott, I saw the the quote pregame. He talked to NBC's Maria Taylor. He said that after the first ankle surgery, Jamie, he lost feeling in his toes. Yeah, that's um, that's not ideal. Not ideal for a quarterback who relies on moving around the pocket and, and using his mobility out there. And don't get me wrong, Dallas last year with Dak at the helm, Dallas wasn't going to the promised land, but Dallas no. might have been a playoff team just because the division absolutely. they exist in sucks. Yeah, absolutely. It would have completely changed their season, obviously. Of course, like they had tons of problems. That defense was you know horrendous, and Dak wasn't changing that. But you're right, the, the division wasn't that good. They could have been a playoff team. A division that came down to the New York Giants hoping the Philadelphia Eagles would pull an upset on the last game last night of this. Like, that's what that division came down to. It was terrible. Yep. Washington's defense was great last year, and, and they had some good stories with Alex Smith returning, and Antonio Gibson was a breakout running back for them last year. We all know about Terry McLaurin, but that team really didn't have business being in the postseason. No, that that in that division, it looks like it could be oh. a bit of a dog's breakfast again this year. You know, we'll see. Like, there's there's talented parts of teams, but can any team really put it all together and be like a legit contender? I don't know. Marcus and Gibson says, "What about the LA Dodgers repeating?" Well, Marcus, we didn't put the Dodgers in the conversation because the three teams that we put there, they're starting from scratch. We've seen a season of work. We know the Dodgers are going to the postseason. They're in a real tooth-and-nail fight with the Giants down the stretch over the next three weeks, which is very compelling because of what it means for wildcard implications, just to see if they can win their own division. But, yes, L.A., by virtue of the fact we know they're going to be a postseason team, they – I mean, if, if you didn't vote for the Dodgers there, yeah. I, I'm not sure what would be wrong with you just because you know the Dodgers would be in. I understand you bringing it up. I considered it, Marcus, but we try to ha level the playing field a little bit here as to where they're starting. Yes, the Dodgers would be the deserved frontrunners because we've already seen what they look like this year, and they're a very, very good team. You could argue they're the best team in baseball again. Drew in Vancouver, quick question as we jump back into hockey here. Do I have to be double-vaxxed to get into Rogers Arena? I know that, he says, but are masks going to be recommended or mandatory? I don't believe there's been a ruling as of yet. I know with the other two local teams, and the Vancouver Canucks don't have a home opener. They've got preseason games coming up, but they don't have their – Official home opener until October 26th. They start out with a six-game road trip. We don't have the answer to that yet. may depend on where we're at right now. But if the Lions and Whitecaps right now are any indication, you're going to have to be masked when you're in the stadium or in the arena in this case, unless you are consuming food. Now, how, how many people are allowed in? Or is there any type of social distancing at Rogers Arena when we get down to regular season hockey next month? I can't answer that right now. No, and it is going to be different. You know, one thing we've all gotten used to, right, is things change so quickly. And the Canucks situation is going to be different because the vaccine mandate, the vaccine passport system will be in effect. Whereas, you know, for those early Whitecaps and Lions games, it wasn't. Does that now on the on the flip side, like if cases keep rising, who knows? Does that change things either way? It's just a situation where we'll wait and see. And we might not know until you know, a week before the game, game one or something like that, right? Like it's it's just really another another thing that, okay, you just got to wait and see how, how everything develops around it. Have you had a fan experience yet since we've had live sporting events here in Vancouver? Have you been able to go into anything yet? I have not, and I'm excited to do it. It's It's not because I'm nervous about going. It's just, 
you know, things, family things haven't lined up, all yeah. of that. And then, yeah, maybe there is a little, ah, okay, maybe I'll wait, see what cases do, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Maybe I'll wait till the vaccine mandate comes into effect. I don't I've had that experience with a lot of things. Like, in July, I was really excited to go see a movie, right? And then cases spike. And it's like, ah, maybe I'll hold off a little bit. But I'm hopeful that soon I will have that first fan experience. I'm planning to go this weekend. I'm planning to go to both. Actually. All right. Right now, my plan includes Whitecaps tomorrow night v. Portland and Lions hosting Ottawa on Saturday. So I'm hopeful that I'm going to be going to both of those games. So if that, in fact, happens, I will report back to you next week, sir. That's exciting. I'm excited for you. I hope they do, I hope they do both happen. Yeah, it should be great. A lot of people hoping Oliver Ekman Larson gets back to the guy we saw three, four years ago. His former coach is in that group. He joined us earlier today, just over an hour ago. Rick Tockett was on the program. Really good interview. Any of you who missed it in its entirety, I'd suggest you go to sportsnet.ca slash 650. Download it. It's a great conversation with Rick Tockett, who we will definitely be having back on this program. But, Jamie, one of the things we talked about with him during the course of that interview was Oliver Ekman Larson and trying to get back to the guy that I just mentioned from three, four years ago, the guy that was living up to that contract that they handed him in the desert. He's very close with Travis Green. We asked him, what advice have you offered Travis Green on helping him get back there? Yeah, I talked to Travis pretty uh, a lot before the trade and then obviously after. Um, you know, he's a good player. Uh, he's been in a market, uh, you know, it's a tough market that hasn't won a lot. You know, there's been a, a lot of turmoil in that organization for a lot of years. And and I'm not going to lie to you, it's hard to block the noise out. There's a lot of noise with that organization. And I think OEL has been in that market so long. And, um, you know, sometimes it can affect your play. You know, um, I think this is the best thing for him to get away. Uh, we talked even at the end of the year, even when I was, uh, wasn't coming back, we had a conversation and he asked my opinion. I said, if I'm, you know, you asking me as a, you know, your former coach, I said, this, get a fresh start, go somewhere. And I know the organization wanted to trade him too. So just uh, be proactive and be it's a business for him, like a partnership, try to get out. And Vancouver is a great spot for him. I mean, I really like uh, the, the Canucks team. I think they got a really good uh, uh, offensive core there with Pedersen and all these guys. Uh, and the back end is something they've always wanted to improve. OEL is going to give you 24, 25 minutes a night. Um, if he can be consistent, on a game game in game out kind of situation I think that's his biggest weakness if he can be, give you guys a consistent year you guys are going to make some noise so um and then connor garland um you know two two games you know with five ten to six minutes left in a tight checking game he's the guy that can score that goal around the net or, or make a, a, a fantastic play to to make this game three to two so he's a game breaker um and you know he's, he's good you know he doesn't have a lot of miles on him either you know he's only played 100 what's it, 160 NHL hockey games so he's got a lot to learn but he's got his 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 um you know his window is high you know his arrow is high so uh you got two really good hockey players there and I think it's going to really help this hockey club especially uh down the stretch drive you mentioned the defensive prowess of Oliver Ekman Larson when he's at his best and something that Vancouver needs to improve wants to improve in your experience what type of player functions best with Oliver Ekman Larson what type of player brings out the best in him on a pairing yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, the depth that we had, you know, he had to play with a couple of different guys last year, so that might have affected his play. Um, you know, for me, he, you know, he joins the rush pretty well. He's got a really good shot. He can make a first outlet pass. You know, somewhat, you know, like for me, 
I mean, he could play with all different guys. Um, I still think he should play with a right-handed shot guy because I, I think sometimes when you're playing with a left, the puck doesn't get over to him as much when you play with a righty. That's something that, uh, you know, that I would look at. Um, but he's a guy that um, he, he can, when he's on his game, he stops the cycle. And I know I was talking to Travis Green, something that they wanted, Vancouver wanted to prove on, is being able to, you know, stall places in the corner and, and, and win those puck battles and for transition. It seemed like there was a lot of, you know, puck possession from teams against Vancouver, especially in the corners with their defense. So I think Oliver's going to really help that, where he's going to squash or, you know, stick on puck, get the puck and transition the game and get the puck up to their star players. I think that's something that Oliver is going to really help Vancouver with. Um, like every, every team wants those type of players. And I think that if he has that mindset every night of being that guy that, you know, I'm going to go in a corner and win my battle, but I'm also going to want to be that fourth man in the rush. Uh, if he does that consistently, uh, he'll be definitely a player for you guys. Good stuff from Rick talk there, Jamie, the back half of that clip. I thought it was interesting. He pointed out the Canucks, they want to shut down the cycle. That's something they identified as a weakness in their own zone. That won't come as a massive surprise to a lot of hockey fans out there, but that's something they absolutely look to shore up. They think he can be part of the solution. It's a really interesting point. And, you know, the conversation around defense and defending in the NHL now, I think we've come to acknowledge, okay, yes, there's the part of it where the other team has the puck and you have to be sharp in your positioning and you have to know how to defend without the puck. But a big part of it is also just limiting the time that the opposing team has the puck in your, your end, right? And that's what they're talking about. Okay, don't let them get set up and just cycle, cycle, cycle and drain you and let you get tired and then finally pounce when you do make a mistake in your positioning. Go get the puck back. And if Oliver ekman Larson is able to do that, yeah. Look, he doesn't, I don't think he's ever going to live up to the contract that he has at this point in Vancouver, but can he at least be a valuable contributor in the top four? And that's a really good point. It's not just about your positioning. It's about, hey, can you actually go and flip possession? Can you go get that puck back? The first part of the clip was pretty interesting as well. One, Rick Tockett admits, with everything going on with that organization and that market, it's hard to block out. Like, it's difficult to yep. do. He admitted that there. You and I have talked about this before. We talked to Tyson Nash about it last week, and he said it can be hard to block it out, and that can affect your play. And he suggested in that clip that it certainly may have contributed to the struggles Oliver ekman Larson has had last year, perhaps the year before. And when Oliver ekman Larson approached him, and Talkett said, I knew I wasn't coming back at that point, but Oliver ekman Larson approached him and said what do you think i should do he said i think you should get a fresh start like if i were you i would go somewhere else it's going to be better for you the organization's looking to trade you anyway go somewhere he thinks vancouver is a good spot the proof will be in the pudding i'm not trying to sell people on this is going to be an incredible year we'll see how it goes but interesting to hear from his former head coach that that's what he advised him to do as well yeah and i think it look it's always easy to find reasons why, you know, a fresh start is going to work out for a player, and it doesn't always do that. But I do think there's a lot of factors in play here that could lead to a turnaround. And again, if you're expecting him to be back in the Norris conversation, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's what the Canucks need to happen, though, at least not this year. I just think they need him to be a solid top four defenseman who can eat some really difficult minutes. That's in play. I think that's a realistic goal. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee, but I think there's enough that you can say, okay, you know, that, that, could, that could actually happen this year. Well, and this is a, a broader 
topic, Jamie, but you talked about living up to the contract, and that in today's day and age is quite often how players get evaluated. Yeah, okay, he might be a positive contributor to your team, but is he a $7 million positive contributor? I've been thinking about this over the last couple of months as well, and at Tucker Pullman, that seems like a reach financially on the open market and, and term-wise. Yep. And we can go through all the individual contracts and who brings value and who doesn't. And I get the argument that, hey, if, if you have excess value from some players and you save money elsewhere, it allows you to do different things. At the end of it all, I do think sometimes we lose sight of this. If the, if the team has success, which is the ultimate goal, if the team has success, does it matter? Like, does it matter which guys got the money that particular year? Yeah, it's a fair question, right? Because in the I get it from, you know, the long-term perspective and when you're forecasting the future and saying, "Oh man, this guy is going to need a raise, but we've already committed that money to this player." That can be very frustrating, and I think that's when it is legitimate to really ask the questions about the salary structure and who's getting what money. But you're right, within a season, it doesn't particularly matter. It just matters who's at, like that you're getting enough high-end performances or enough solid performances from players up and down the lineup that you're able to compete. But I also understand it from a fan's perspective when you're trying to look two, three years down the road. Yeah, of course you're going to be concerned that, you know, a player is drastically underperforming their salary because it could impact how your team is able to to build and, and to grow down the road. Mike and Willoughby texts in, listening to the talk and interview had me wondering if you guys still point to the door when a guest says, Good question. Yep, I do it on a reflex. BMAC <laughs> and I invented that game a long, long time ago. And the premise of this, I don't know if I've put this on the air before, Jamie. The premise of the game when we invented it was, hey, you did your job. You did your job during that interview, and you got the guest to say good question. You made the guest think, you can leave. You've done your job for the day. You can go home. So we would point <laughs> to the door back in the day as, as if we had accomplished what we came there to do that day. I love it. I love it. And yes, the tradition lives on. It's always just a good feeling too when uh, when you know a guest seems to really and really vibe on your question and throw out the good question to you. You got to be careful though because you and I both know that when you're going through an interview, occasionally you have a guest who says good question a lot and yes. it's a stall tactic. Sometimes it's yes. a stall tactic where hmm Hadn't really thought about that. I'm going to say good question because that buys me a little bit of time to formulate my answer. There's a difference between a real good question, and uh, I'm just throwing that out there as a stall technique. Well, and the one you got from uh, Rick Tockett there in that clip we played, that was extremely genuine because it wasn't at the beginning. It was, you know, he thought about it, he gave his answer, and then at the end was like, oh, that's a really good point. So I think that is even at a different level above your standard good question, Scotty. Well, it's the end of the show. Now you tell me. I'm going to have to leave anyway here in just a couple <laughs> minutes' time. Hey, another big sports day. We've talked about what a great week this has been. From a, there's been no chill, really. It hasn't been okay. I no. can breathe for a couple days, and then I got to get back at it. Layla Annie Fernandez on court today. NFL season opens between the Bucks and the Dallas Cowboys. You've got the Blue Jays and the Yankees playing the fourth game of this four-game set with the Jays on the verge of a sweep as well. Dude, where is your primary viewing today? Oh man, that's a tough one. It's a classic, you know, flip back and forth. I. As much as I'm excited for Layla Annie Fernandez, as much as I'm hyped about what she has the chance to do here, like I'm a I'm a lifelong Jays fan. The chance for them to go into the Bronx, sweep the Yankees in a meaningful series in September, that's where my attention is going to be at first and foremost. Okay. Fair enough. Do you have anybody playing fantasy wise today? 
I believe I have Antonio Brown. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to start him tonight. Oh, Amari Cooper I have in one of my leagues as well, who's definitely going to be starting for me. So, you know, I got a couple people to tune into. I hope we're talking about a Canadian finalist tomorrow when we reconvene. Yes. I really do. Let's go, Layla. Get the job done. I know you're up against the two seat today. Let's go. We're cheering for you. Batch probably cheering for some English entry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Batch, as I continue to chirp you throughout this hour. Enjoy it today. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get back after tomorrow. I know we got a lot of NFL stuff to dig into tomorrow, Jamie. I'm formulating some questions that are not brain busters, but they're going to make you pause for a second. They might actually make you say good question. Thanks for your contribution once again today, buddy. My pleasure. Let's do it. I can't wait. Tomorrow's going to be great. We got the football game, the Jays, Layla, Annie, Fernandez. It's fantastic, man. It's the best time of year right now. As I mentioned, personally, I might be going to the Whitecaps game tomorrow night. At least that's my plan as well. Whitecaps looking to continue their hot streak and push their way into the postseason. Raja Shergill, fantastic job lining up the program for a fourth consecutive day. Big ups to Greg Ballack back in Mission Control. He was in early, and he's staying on because Sportsnet Today comes your way next. It's Bick and Katie Caldwell right here on your home of Canucks Hockey, Sportsnet 650.